Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Stephanie Jabauer. Joining me today is Pastor Andrew Jones, who is here to enlighten us about a special season of the church year that focuses our celebrations on light and life. And you better believe, as a community that cares much about Jesus, the light, and much about life, we want to hear what he's got to say. Andy, welcome to our show. Can you introduce yourself? Of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Andy Jones. I'm a pastor in the Bay Area of California. I think for this episode, the thing you need to know the most about me is that Epiphany is my favorite season of the church year. (laughs) <laughs> it is it is the most overlooked season, in my opinion, uh, but it is one that I just find so much delight in. As, as you said, it is a season of light. It is a season of life, and I just really enjoy uh, talking about it and sharing with people why this season is so important to me. Well, as you were saying that, obviously listeners cannot see your expression, but you had a very large smile on your face when the word epiphany came out of your mouth. And I do know just from personally talking with you that you're pretty passionate about the celebrations that the church gets to enjoy at this time of year. So I'm excited to talk to you and and honestly to learn more because I want to know why I should really, really, really like epiphany like you do. But you left something out. You are a published author now. Just tell us quick about that. Sure. Yeah. So my my debut book came out in November from Concordia Publishing House. It's called 10 Questions to Ask Every Time You Read the Bible. It is a book that I hope will serve as a guide to people as they read the scriptures, guiding them to, to be curious about the scriptures, to be curious about who God is, and giving them hopefully a little bit of confidence with the scriptures. As a pastor, I experience a lot of people who They want to read the Bible, but they find it a little bit unapproachable. They find it a little bit confusing. And so this book really was was written in the hopes of of helping some people gain insights into the scriptures through asking very simple questions, questions that don't require a lot of resources, questions that you can just go look in your own Bible to find the answers, or maybe a quick internet search. My hope is that people will will find sort of this insatiable curiosity with the scriptures. Uh, I relate it to you know a child that you know has that one movie that they they love to watch over and over and over again. Very familiar with that. I'm hoping that this book really helps people to to learn more about the scriptures. Yes, but really to learn more about who God is and how much He loves us, just by continuing to ask more and more questions and to be curious about who he is. Well, I'm currently reading it now. Each chapter is essentially the question that we should mm-hmm. be asking in scripture. But you make an admission that there's one question that's your favorite question, or at least that's more important than any of the other 10 questions. And what is that question? Yeah, that is question four in the book, chapter four. And the question is, who are you, Lord? It's the question that Saul asks when he's on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him on the road and says, you know, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asks the question, who are you, Lord? Uh, As we read the scriptures, really all of the questions that I put into the book are meant to sort of lead us back to this supreme question, if you will, of who is God? Uh, Who is Jesus? 
and what is he up to in our world? And so as we read the scriptures, there are so, so many different ways that the Bible speaks about God. You know, God is our refuge. He is our rest. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. He is our fortress. He is our fill in the blank. There's no end of, of phrases and words that describe who God is. And as we read the scriptures, I think as, if we can pull out some of those, those words, those phrases about who God is, we begin to understand the good news is so broad and so deep that God is so loving toward us that he is not just a refuge. He is not only forgiveness, but he is also all these other things. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the light of the world. All of those things, I think, communicate something to us about God that is precious and can really reach us at, at different points in our lives and can be helpful to us in different ways. Who are you, Lord, I think is the most important question in my book and the question that I hope all the other questions sort of funnel into that we can be asking about the Lord. Andy, the season of Epiphany, specifically the readings we hear in services during the season, they really beg us to ask this question in real time, along with the audience and the biblical authors of those readings. Who are you, Lord? And more on this in a minute. But my burning question right now is, why is this season so important to you, the season of Epiphany? Why are you so passionate about it? Yeah, I think for me, it, it's one of those seasons that I'm kind of passionate about it just because uh, I notice it getting overlooked. I'm sort of an underdog person <laughs> and Epiphany is sort of the underdog. And, and it makes sense. I, th I think it's just sort of logistics as to why it gets overlooked. It's just timing, right? We've been preparing through the Advent season. We're preparing for Jesus' arrival. We're preparing for Christmas. And then Christmas comes and we're so excited and it's so great. And we need a rest, like we need to just like calm down for a minute and like not have any big things going on because we know what's coming next. We know Lent is just a, a couple months away. We know Easter's on the way. And both of these seasons for the church, you know, the Advent Christmas season and then Lent and Easter, they're both marked by having extra services. They're, they're marked by this extra preparation time, this extra piety that we take on as Christians. And Epiphany sort of stands in between them and it's, it's okay that it's sort of the season of, of, of rest. It's okay that, that we get to sort of sit back and just see what's happening. The, the way I like to talk about Epiphany is that, you know, imagine you've got some guests who are coming to your house. They're going to stay for a while. Advent is the preparation for the guests. It's the cleaning of the house. It's the buying of the food. Christmas is the day they arrive and you have a big celebration. You go out, whatever you do, you, you know, that's the celebration, their arrival. Epiphany is the visit. Epiphany is the time you spend with them, having great conversations, learning more about them, reconnecting, having this deep relationship with them. And so as we walk through the season of Epiphany, what I see happening is that the, the scripture readings, really what, what they are trying to do throughout the season is they are trying to take the light of the world that we hear about Jesus coming on Christmas the light that shines in the darkness, and they're exploring what that light is letting us see throughout the season of Epiphany. And the main thing that Epiphany tries to teach us is who is Jesus? 
the epiphany season is sort of marked by two sort of bookends in a way. There's the baptism of Jesus and there's transfiguration. And at both of those occasions, you know, the baptism of Jesus is the first Sunday after the epiphany. And we hear God speak and reveal to us that Jesus is his son. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. In transfiguration, Jesus goes up the mountain. He's transfigured. His clothes become bright white light. And what does God say? The exact same thing. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so God reveals to us that Jesus you know, is his son. And in between, we have all these different weeks of, of God revealing more and more about who Jesus is, um, more and more about what he comes to do. He comes to, to heal his people. He comes to restore life. He comes to teach us and teach us the way of, of living in the world through forgiveness, teaching us how to pray, all these different things. And so for me, Epiphany is just a season where I learn so much anew about who Jesus is and why he's here. And I get to experience that sort of for the first time every time as I walk through the season. As Lutherans, we are a liturgical church body, which in part means that we follow the season of the church year and allow the readings to direct and guide our focus. Why is it precious as a church for us to follow uh, the church calendar, or what does it do to us as we participate in services throughout the year, uh, changing, ebbing, and flowing, going through a really long season of ordinary time, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. then uh, you know all of a sudden these celebrations, boom, boom, boom. I guess what good does it do for us? I think the church year, you know, can be very formational to people. It can sort of help us to see what God is up to in, in different ways. If we think about, you know, the, the major seasons of the church year, you know, Advent is this time of preparation. It's this time of hope. And so we are sort of formed by that preparation, formed by this hope. Christmas and Easter are times of celebration. They're times of joy. And we're really formed into being people of joy, people of celebration, people who learn how to do that properly. Epiphany is a season of enlightenment. It's a season of learning. It's a season of growing, a season of being curious. And we're formed to be people who are curious, who, who, who want to know more. Lent is a season of suffering. It's a season of temptation. It's a season where we, we fast and we focus on the word of God. And those things form us as Christians uh, to, to pick up our cross and, and follow Jesus. And, you know, the season of Pentecost, as you said, is a season of ordinary time. It's a season where we learn and are formed to not celebrate for a time. We're formed to be people of the ordinary, people who find joy in our everyday vocations. We don't need to celebrate everything all the time, but there is this ordinariness that is also precious. And so I think each of these seasons sort of works together in this beautiful blended way that forms us to be God's people in a very profound sense. And there's time for both fasting and feasting. There's time for the ordinary and there's time for celebration. Uh, and I think that's just reflective of our lives on, on this earth at this time, but also reflective of preparing us for eternal life, mm -hmm. where it'll be a lot more celebration 
uh, and a lot more joy. Back to epiphany, because this is what we're really here for. Define epiphany for us. When does it start? What is it? Epiphany begins on January the 6th for Western Christianity. Uh, January 6th is the the festival that we celebrate of the Magi visiting Jesus, the wise men coming to visit Jesus, bringing their gifts. And so Epiphany is sort of this, the, the feast of Epiphany itself leads to the season of Epiphany. And the feast of the Epiphany is really all about Jesus revealing himself to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the world. He has not just come for the Jewish people, but he has come for all people. And so one of the readings that we have on the Feast of the Epiphany, the epistle reading is from Ephesians 3. And Paul speaks about this mystery that has been revealed that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. So that mystery is revealed to us. No matter what our heritage is, no matter what our language, nation, or people is, we are a part of God's people. He's come for everyone. So that's where it sort of begins with that festival, with that celebration. Epiphany itself is a word that, you know, what I think of when I hear the word epiphany is I think of a cartoon where a cartoon character has like a light bulb go off over their head. Mm -hmm. That's an epiphany. It's like this sudden realization. It's this just burst of an idea, this burst of an understanding. The epiphany season is sort of filled with epiphanies, if you will. You know, there's this revelation that Jesus is for all people as the Magi visit. There's the revelation that happens at the baptism of Jesus that he's the divine son of God. There's this revelation that occurs in, in, in the different readings through the epiphany season that Jesus is able to heal, that he has power over physical illness, that he has power over the spiritual realm. There are these epiphanies about him teaching us. Some of the readings that will come up in, in this series, if you're in the three-year lectionary, are from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we hear the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. We hear that we are the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth, that we are a city on a hill. You know, we, we sort of are taught all of these different things, not only about Jesus, but also about ourselves, that our revelations, that our epiphanies, that Jesus reveals to us by shining his light sort of on us. That's what Epiphany is, and it begins January 6th. Epiphany is a season that has varied length. Epiphany goes until Lent starts, and Lent moves around because Easter moves around. And so Epiphany can be anywhere from as few as four weeks to as many as nine weeks, just depending on when Easter falls. And so the last Sunday of Epiphany is uh, the Transfiguration, if you're following the three-year lectionary. And that, again, is this sort of revelation, again, of Jesus being glorified, of Jesus being light, uh, of Jesus hearing from his Father. And we overhear again, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So what you're saying is the Feast of Epiphany is the start of Epiphany. So that's January 6th. That doesn't change. And that mm -hmm. celebrates the visit of the Magi. But then the season of Epiphany has, of course, different Sundays and then therefore different readings that all talk about the messianic ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So Perfect. do you want to do yeah. a little bit of fact checking or myth busting with me for a sec? Oh, sure. 
Okay. Okay. Well, you know, maybe one of my pet peeves is seeing nativity sets that just don't quite get it right or children's books that I I try to read my kids for Christmas. And it's like, oh man, that's so close, but not it. So Mm. here we go. Some of these are going to be true. Some false. You tell us. Okay. Number one, Epiphany is also referred to as the Festival of Lights. Um, I'm going to go with true on that. I think our Orthodox brothers and sisters call it a festival of lights. Yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> thousand gold stars. All right. Number two. We know for sure there were three magi who came to visit Jesus. False. We, do, we don't know how many magi there were. There, there are three gifts. Yes. There's gold, frankincense, and myrrh that are brought to Jesus. But the number of the wise men, the number of the magi is never specified. There could have been three. It's not impossible. But there could have been dozens of these people. We really don't know. I like to think of it as like a giant caravan of people, like a, a good 50 people. Uh, but but I don't know either. You know, that could be a mistake as well. So, yeah, that's what people need for their nativity sets is they need a lot more magi, like lots <laughs> yeah. of them. So, Give me a caravan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, my husband had just told us in the children's message recently that it was likely a, a larger group of people, a caravan of sorts. So a certain amount of magi, a certain amount of servants, probably lots of animals. But back then, of course, people traveled in larger groups because it was it was safer to do so. They mm-hmm. probably maybe came on horses instead of camels because they were from Persia. But who knows that either? I mean, it doesn't say in scripture, so we can only speculate. Okay, next one. The Magi visited Jesus as a newborn. True or false? Uh, that's that's false. Uh, in all likelihood, they come a bit later. So we have we have two particular markers that the Magi visit occurs in between. It occurs after Jesus is forty days old. So Jesus at forty days old is brought to the temple. He's presented. He's dedicated. That's where he meets Simeon, uh, and Simeon, you know, picks him up and says says his things about Jesus that he is, oh, look, light, revelation to the Gentiles. And we know that Jesus was younger than two years old when the Magi visited based on King Herod's murderous actions against uh, the children of Bethlehem. He's somewhere in between there. I'm not sure where he is in between there. The Magi are not showing up at the same time as the shepherds do to create your nativity scene. They're showing up later. Um, I do know some people who part of their uh, their nativity tradition is to have to sort of build it throughout the season. And so you have, you know, you have Mary and Joseph and then you add Jesus on Christmas and you add the shepherds on Christmas. But then you've got the, the Magi that are sort of making their way across the room the whole time. And they don't show up until January 6th. And then you have to take Christmas down. But, you know, that, I know some people who do that, which I think is kind of uh, compelling, actually. But. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and listen, you know, do I let my children play with Magi as part of their nativity set on Christmas at this time? Like, absolutely. I'm not trying to harp on anyone's fun. But if we want to communicate the story faithfully, there's different <laughs> ways that we can do that. Okay, last one. True or false? Epiphany is one of the three oldest church festivals. I'm going to go with true as far as I know it is. This is a tough one because it's like, you know, Easter is an early celebration. Christmas becomes an early celebration. Pentecost already was a Jewish celebration. So that's sort of in between there. But I'm going to go true. 
top three, first three. What did yeah. I win? Okay. Yeah, you did. You won. Uh, 100 out of 100. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So along with Easter and Pentecost, Epiphany is one of the oldest festivals of the church that we, that we get to celebrate and enjoy. Moving on after a little bit of fun, why, Andy, are we talking about Epiphany on a podcast that talks about life? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think maybe you could tell me more of why you invited me on to talk about it. But, yeah. <laughs> Epiphany along with the season of Easter, I think these two seasons are really the, the season of life. They're the seasons of life. And what I mean by that is we focus on Easter about, you know, Jesus rises from the dead. He conquers the enemy of death. Death no longer has dominion over him. So we see very clearly that that is a season of life. For me, Epiphany is more of Jesus conquering the allies of death. The allies of death being disease, darkness, injury. So a lot of what we see Jesus doing is, you know, healing people, conquering that enemy of death through conquering disease. We see him proclaiming good news to people who sit in darkness, who do not know the truth of him by proclaiming his light uh, and forgiveness to them. And so for me, that's really what makes Epiphany a, a season of life, because it shows us God's deep care for his people, not just in a spiritual sense, but also in a physical sense. Jesus cares about bringing the kingdom of God, bringing the reign and rule of God to his people. And he does that so often in the Epiphany season through restoring people's health, restoring their livelihoods, bringing about this restoration and abundant life that they did not have. So for me, that's why I consider it sort of a season of, of life, a season of growth, a season of restoration. I think that's a helpful answer. That's a good answer. Here I have from the Treasury of Daily Prayer. This is kind of at the end after the, after the prayer, it talks about the epiphany of our Lord. And it, it says that the idea of epiphany is that Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, is recognized by the world as God. So at Christmas... God appears to us as man, as a baby, born into the world, placed into a manger in swaddling clothes. And then at Epiphany, it says this man appears before the world as God, that Christ became man needed no proof, but that this man, this helpless child is God, needed proof. And so then, therefore, that's when we have the readings of Christ's baptism. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a, of a dove, says, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's doing signs and wonders, just as you said, bringing healing and, and restoration and showing his care through his ministry for people, becoming like people, being tempted in every way and yet without sin. And then the transfiguration, again, we have the voice of God revealing that this man who you see in front of you is also true God. This is my son, so listen to him. And so we are given this revelation, this epiphany of who Christ is. And in a way, then it performs that to us. It epiphanizes us to be able to read the scriptures in this way. It reveals to us who Christ is. And, and of course, that is uh, the Savior of the world who uh, came to push back darkness, to reverse the curse of death, and ultimately to squash death and bring life to all people, including opening it up to the Gentiles. So we first see that, of course, with the Magi, who were Gentiles who ended up bowing down in, in worship before the Lord. But you also mentioned that Epiphany is a season of light. Can you tell us a little bit 
more about that. You've shared with us, of course, about the transfiguration, but a lot of our songs during Epiphany talk about Jesus as the light, talk about light in general. What are some themes going on there? Yeah. So for me, Epiphany really, it takes off in a lot of ways with the Christmas Day reading, to be honest. Uh, Christmas Day reading the gospel is John 1. And some of the lines from John 1 include, you know, in Jesus, in the word was life. And that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so that concept of Jesus as light is one that sort of shows up again and again. Uh, One of the quintessential readings for Epiphany this year, I think, comes from part of Matthew 4. And it talks about Jesus being this fulfillment of Isaiah 42, that Jesus is the light that people see. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them has light dawned. Jesus is, as you said, you know, we, we, we see God becoming man in the incarnation. We see that he, that the Christ is human. And we see an epiphany and the baptism of our Lord and the transfiguration. We see that Jesus is God. He's the divine son of God. And part of his role as this divine incarnate God is to shine light in darkness to be the light of the world, to illumine them to all the things that they've gotten messed up, which is pretty significant. <laughs> and so we see him not only you know, restoring uh, physical health, bringing life, but we see him shining light into places where people have just screwed up. They've just made a mess of things. And as he does that, He reveals his character. He reveals his heart and his care for all people. He doesn't want anyone to be in darkness. And the Gentiles have been in darkness, but they're in darkness no longer. The light has shined on them. And so for us, living in the 21st century, as I look out into a gray California sky and it's raining for the 50th day in a row or whatever, it's so important in this season, in in my part of the world where it's dark, to hear that Jesus is the light, to hear that he shines his light into all the dark places of this world and brings understanding, brings wisdom, brings guidance to lead people out of that darkness and to cling to him and his light. The fact that we are midway through winter as we're recording this now, maybe in some parts of the country, not even midway, there's long, long months of winter uh, up north especially. But uh, everyone universally here in the U.S. has a pretty dark winter. So it worst probably gets dark a little after 4.15 p.m. at least where I have been. But now the way that the church calendar is working itself kind of in the way that the natural world is working itself. We've been in darkness for so long, but then end of December is when the the longest dark day has been, and then it suddenly starts to creep back. The light begins to creep back just naturally. And so as we progress through Epiphany, it becomes lighter and lighter throughout the day and for longer. As we go through the season, as, as we journey through these readings, uh, just as it becomes lighter 
outside and heading towards Eastern or Easter celebrations. As we read and understand more of who Christ is as he reveals himself, he is bringing more and more light to who are you, Lord? The question, who are you, Lord? And then what that really means for us. Of course, whatever it means for us, it also means for our neighbor. That's where this really propels us as a, as a community of believers to sit, to ponder, to ask the questions, and to take notice. So what do light and life, Andy, have in common, especially if there are major themes of epiphany? Yeah, I think back to that John 1 text, you know, I think that in, in Jesus is this life, and that life is light. They're, they're intertwined in this, this mysterious way that wherever Jesus goes— he is bringing about life. He's bringing about restoration. Wherever Jesus goes, he is the light of the world. And so he shines in, the, in a darkness that can't understand or overcome his light. Everything Jesus seems to do, not only in this season, but you know, through the Easter season as well and beyond, is to bring about life, to, to make all things new. And light and life are so intertwined with that that you think about eternal life, this never-ending life that we have with Jesus. And what do we hear about it? That we will have no need of light or lamp nor sun. For Jesus will, will be our all. Jesus will be that, that light. And he will be the, the sustainer of our life into eternity. So somehow light and life get intertwined in the person of Jesus. And everywhere he goes, both things emanate from him. Yeah. Epiphany causes us to stop and recognize the old is passing away. There is a new day dawning. The kingdom of God is at hand in Jesus Christ. In John 8, 12, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the mm, light of life. We confess in the Nicene Creed, we say that Jesus is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. I did a little search in my large catechism. Under the second article of the creed, it answers the question for us, why are light and life together? It, it says, let it be a summary of this article that the word Lord simply means the same as Redeemer. That is, he who has brought us back from the devil to God, from death to life, from sin to righteousness. And we could add from darkness to light. And he keeps us there. What a beautiful promise for us as, as believers, as a people who are walking in darkness now. A new day has dawned for us. That is the gospel. Part of Friends for Life, I love talking theology. I love referring to scripture and seeing how this also applies to our lives today and, and in real time. So, Andy, what's our call to action as Christians journeying through this season of light and life. How do the events in the life of Christ was highlighted in the season of Epiphany? How do these events change us? That's a good question. And and I think, you know, one of the most interesting things about the whole light concept is that, you know, you just talked about, you know, John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But the other thing that we hear, and we'll hear this epiphany season from Matthew 5, is that you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And so I think our call in epiphany is to reflect the light of Christ, to, to reflect his care for light and life to shine in the darkness and to bring restoration to, to his people. If we're going to reflect the light of Christ... 
I think for us that, that the call for us then becomes that we care for those who Jesus cares for. We care for those who are physically unwell. You know, the people that Jesus goes around healing, we are called to care for those people in our time and age because disease and injury still exist in our world. We are called to care for those who are spiritually oppressed. You know, Jesus casts out all these demons. He fights against the darkness of Satan constantly. We are called to, you know, initiate that same spiritual care for those who are in darkness, whether that is simply the the darkness of unbelief or the darkness of being spiritually oppressed, of, of needing to be freed from the darkness. And I think the season of Epiphany does a good job of reminding us that, you know, when Jesus is baptized, he, he is uniting himself with us in this mysterious way. And so now in our baptisms, we are united with Christ. You know, Romans 6 talks about we're, we're buried with Christ. We are united with him in his death. We will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And since we're united with Christ, I think that means we are called to sort of follow him, to do what he does, to care about who he cares about. And Epiphany's entire message is that he cares about the world. He cares about all people. He cares about people you wouldn't expect. That's something that we can really take to heart and, and be called to, to show the world that we care about them, that, that we, we love them, that we want light and life to emanate from not only Jesus, which it always does, but also from us uh, as we reflect him to the world. We see this in the very narrative of scripture itself when this God-man, Christ Jesus, born of Bethlehem, which was just a tiny little town, the outskirts of where we would actually expect a king to be born, which would be Jerusalem. And in fact, he turns our expectations on its head and what we would uh, expect to be greatness is the least and the least is the greatest. And he's born in Bethlehem, this little little house of bread, this little ho-dunk town where no one great is expected to come out of. And what does he do throughout his entire ministry? He is found in the, in the presence of sinners. He's taking care of the sick and the diseased and the lepers, the outcasts of society. He cares for women. He is showing us time and time again that he is not the savior that we expected, but the savior that we need. And I think that throughout this time of Epiphany, if we let it, our eyes will be open to see the way that our Lord sees human life. You said you're a fan of uh, rooting for the underdogs, and that's kind of how I like to think of Jesus being. We are called to have our eyes open, to care for life, to care for the outcasts, the outliers. Finally, Andy, your new book, 10 Questions to Ask Every Time You Read the Bible, you want your reader to be asking the questions of the text, the 10 questions for better understanding. One could even say for little epiphanies. So what is one question that we should be asking of ourselves or of the Lord as we journey through epiphany? As, as I said earlier, you know, the most important question in the book is who are you, Lord? And that's a very important epiphany question, of course. But I think the, the other thing that we can ask ourselves, uh, especially in epiphany, is who are we? If we are called to be followers of Jesus, if we are called to be reflections of him, if we are called to be the light of the world as he is the light of the world, that's pretty big, right? Like that, that's a huge thing. That's who we are. We are the light of the world. And that is so profound. 
to, to think that Jesus would identify himself with us by saying the same thing about himself as about us, that we are the light of the world. That's who Jesus has, has made us to be. And as we go out into the world, as, as we interact with, with God's people, God's creations throughout the world, who does he call us to be? Who does he call us to shine light on? Who does he call on us to, to share his abundant life with? Who has he sent us to, to bring that restoration? So I think that that would be the question that at least I'm asking of myself this epiphany is, uh, who has God made me to be? Who am I? Hmm. And the, the profoundness of being the light of the world is, is a mystery I'm still unraveling and probably will be until I'm with the one true light, Jesus, in, in the heavens. Well, let us take this time to ponder with you. Who are we? Who are we in Christ? Who are we because of who our Lord is? Oh, Andy, just as we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where we can find your book, which is an awesome resource that you have given to our church? And my understanding is there will be forthcoming books from you as well. Yeah. So my, my book, as we talked about, 10 questions to ask every time you read the Bible, uh, it is available from Concordia Publishing House. If you go to cph.org slash 10 questions, you should find it there. Uh, if you prefer to order from Amazon, it is also there and christianbook.com. It's, it's, it's a lot of different places. I am in the beginning of working on my second book. My hope is that the second book will be a little bit more about Jesus shining light and truth into the darkness against Satan and his lies. And so uh, that that's sort of my project for, for this winter, for the this epiphany season, uh, probably moving into Lent and beyond. It probably won't go that quickly, but looking forward to continuing to to share the things that the Spirit has put on my heart uh, that I think are important and necessary for God's people in this time. I encourage listeners to check out Andy's new book, 10 Questions to Ask Every Time You Read the Bible, which can be found at cph.org. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. You are most welcome. It was my honor. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. Music